0: It is—I uh, don't know why—but it is always amazing to me how our worship services come together uh, without communication one with another, but only interacting with the Word of God, knowing where we're going to be in the Scripture. Uh, and then today, I find out apparently Peter uh, had read Paul, or Paul had read Peter. I don't know how, but or maybe they were reading the same Old Testament. That's probably <laughs> they were—they were in the same Old Testament mindset. Uh, what a—what a blessing! text of scripture and then to sing that old song have thine own way Lord we are not giving God permission for anything are we now he doesn't need permission but we are yielding ourselves and what a what a great thing for us to do before the preaching of the word of God what a time to yield ourselves God what you have for us today we will yield to you Please turn in your Bible to the New Testament book of 1 Peter chapter 2. Today we will focus in on verse 10. The title of the message is taken from this verse. Not a people, now a people. Please follow along in your Bible as I read it. We'll read verses 1 through 10, 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy, And all slander like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord and coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. to offer offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, verse 6, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God, we call upon you asking your blessing this morning on your text as it has been read. Asking your blessing on the preaching of your word. God, the desire of each heart here today is not to hear the words of a man, but to hear from you. So we pray, Lord, that your word might be proclaimed, that we might hear Jesus Christ, even if from the lips of a man. Hide this preacher behind the cross of Calvary, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Peter has been. Giving us some detail about our identity in Christ, as Pastor Brent said this morning in Sunday school, and he said before Christian thinking, at least the Christian living, and Peter is back and forth with this thinking and living, and thinking and living, and uh, indicative imperative. This is what you are, and this is what you must do. This is how you must live in light of who you are. He's been giving us this identity detail. How should we, the church, see ourselves? And this is not just a made-up fantasy identity, but this is what is reality for those who are God's elect. What is is the difference that is made in our lives as God's people? Today we come to verse 10 and we're still getting this view of our identity in Christ. Uh, Verse 10 has a bit of a different method we see here a contrast drawn a a contrasting picture for us between who we were before salvation without Christ and who we are now after we have been saved it is a before and after for the Christian that we have here in verse 10 before and after Now, we're all familiar with before and after photos. Maybe you've gone to your mailbox and you've gotten that that card that that has a picture of that old clunker car. Dented and dull. And then another picture of the same car after they've done a lot of work on it. And now it's shiny. It looks almost new. And they're trying to sell you their service by giving you a before and after picture. Or probably the one we're most familiar with is the infomercial where the guy is overweight and out of shape, but after only three months on B120C or whatever it is, this guy is ripped. He usually has a better haircut and better clothes. He's got a better dog. His wife likes him better. The, the after picture is, is something that we look at and we say, Surely that's not real. Surely that's not how it works. Who is that thing? Must be acting like his grandpa. Oh. He just doesn't know it's not my first day, it's not my first baby. I'm gonna win. Oh. Sorry, that was a distraction for me. I thought it was for you too, and I, I apologize about that interruption. But uh, but isn't it wonderful to have our babies being trained, and we got to be patient, and and they're being trained so that they can sit and hear the word of God when they get to that age, and uh, and that is our hope. This before and after. Uh, with with this with this uh, weight loss thing that we see all the time, they're they're selling us their latest fitness gadget, their latest miracle sprinkles, their, their whatever that thing is that they're selling us. Uh, we we see the before and after motif used to sell, and often we are duped by that, thinking that three payments of twenty nine ninety nine will actually do something for us, but. It's just a sales gimmick. It's a sales gimmick. It's a sales tactic that is used. But there's another type of before and after that is not a sales gimmick, but it is something that shows progress or change. Not too long ago, we did some remodeling and as the project was coming to, it was coming together and we were beginning to be able to see what this was going to be. I thought we should have taken some pictures. We should have taken some before pictures. But we know that Chip and Joanna. Always take pictures before and after. And they put them side by side. And we see the difference. That this work that has been done. We see the difference that the work has made. In the space that is happening like that. Before and after pictures like this. Show an impact of work. That has been accomplished. This. It's what Peter is doing for us here. We see in the language of the text, before and after, verse 10 says, for you once were, but now you are. Before and after. And then we have again, you had not, but now you have. So this is a Holy Spirit inspired use of the before and after motif. And here Peter's not trying to sell us something. He is showing us how lost sinners are impacted drastically by the grace of God in salvation, by the work that Jesus Christ has done. As we mentioned last week, seeing a before and after, seeing who we are in Christ, this should bring us to a point of boasting. This should bring us to a point of extolling praise not to boast in ourselves, not to praise ourselves. The clay certainly doesn't say, you wouldn't believe what an ugly lump I was, but look at what a great piece of pottery. now! No, we can only boast in the potter, not in the clay. In church, we can, we should, we must boast in God, the God of our salvation. We should extol the goodness of our Savior. And that's what Peter is doing here in verse 10. And, and it should bring us to do the same. We were reminded in verse 9 that we were redeemed so that we might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. This is our purpose. This is, this is why we have been saved to boast in God our Savior to proclaim His excellencies. And we noted last week that Peter used words and phrases from the Old Testament. He used Old Testament language to speak about the church. Last time we saw that he borrowed language from Isaiah and he borrowed language from the Psalms and he applied that Old Testament language to the New Testament church. And now here in our verse today, he does the same thing, the same kind of borrowing from the Old Testament, but this time from the Old Testament book of Hosea. We heard Hosea chapter one read in our presence just a bit earlier. Before we dig into this verse and just skip over this fact, let's consider Peter applying Old Testament Israel language to the church. It's no accident, it's no oversight, it's not really even incidental, it's very important. National Israel in the Old Testament was a picture and a foreshadowing for the New Testament church. Now, someone asked me one time, are you talking about that replacement theology? And I would say no. The church is not a replacement for God's Israel, but we are engrafted in. We are engrafted in. So, we can sit here, most, if not all of us, being Gentile believers in Jesus Christ. And we don't expect in the kingdom of God. To be some sort of second class citizens. We are God's Israel. And Peter is bringing this to light. By applying Old Testament Israel language. To the church. It's not a popular doctrine in our day. But it is an important doctrine nonetheless. Hosea. Where Peter quotes from here. Hosea is one of my favorite Old Testament prophets. It'd be easy for us to get distracted. And go to Hosea. And spend our time there. Bogged down in, in what Hosea has for us. And forget what Peter is saying here. We don't want to do that. but Because many of us are unfamiliar. I know we just read the text. But many of us are unfamiliar with Hosea. I, I've had to tell people. Yes Hosea was a man. Uh, Hosea and Gomer. And you think, well, one of those sounds like a girl's name and one of them sounds like a guy's name, but it's actually opposite of what you might think. We're not as familiar. Hosea was a prophet of God and, and God would use Hosea and his family to paint a picture of God and Israel. And in this picture, Hosea would would represent or Hosea would picture God and his wife and children would picture Israel. God told Hosea to take a wife of whoredom. So right off the bat, we understand Israel's unfaithfulness toward God. And Hosea married a woman named Gomer. Gomer became pregnant, had some children. She had a daughter. God told Hosea to name this daughter Lo Ruhamah. That is, no mercy. Another way to understand that would be not loved. And then she had a son and by God's command, they named him lo not mine. Imagine the, the shame and embarrassment that would come every time they met someone new. These are my children. This one's not loved and this one is not mine. This is to picture Israel's unfaithfulness to God. The message is not very hidden, is it? Not loved, not mine. And the treacherous behavior of Israel was also not hidden. These children who were called not loved, not mine, no mercy after God's grace was shown, he said, I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, thou art my people. And they shall say, thou art my God. This is the Old Testament basis for what we have here in verse 10. And as these words are applied to the church, church let us consider these names these before names not love or no mercy and not mine we were along with all of fallen humanity so far from the love and mercy of god even even before man sin the distance between the creature And the Creator is so far that man could never rise to the level to be face-to-face with God. Man could never rise to that level because what would man do? Well, obey God, right? But any obedience that man would do was owed to God because God was Creator. So he could never get ahead. He could never make a gain. Anything would just be owed. This was was an awful plight. But then after Adam sinned by eating the forbidden fruit, the plight of humanity was all the more dire. Adam's sin and fall was not only for himself alone, but he acted representatively for all his posterity, for all those who would be born after Adam by ordinary generation. So that after the fall into sin, all humanity born from Adam's seed, we find ourselves in this fallen condition. So the before picture presented here in the words from Hosea shows precisely who we were, church. Not objects of mercy. No mercy. Not a people. And the text doesn't say not God's people. It says not a people. Literally, no people. And this gives us insight to the condition of lost men and women. They are not a people. We were not a people. There's no belonging. There's no loyalty among the lost Lost person, how foolish is it to think that you will have friends in hell? There will be no comrades in that place, only weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. No people and no mercy. Lost friend, you don't know life without mercy. Every person who has ever drawn breath has felt the merciful hand of God. Jonathan Edwards reminds us that every lost person is suspended over the fiery pit of hell, as it were. And the only thing that keeps us from falling into this pit is God's mercy at every moment. And most of us experience Mercies and daily mercies. In this passage, when it says no mercy, it doesn't mean that you've never known any of God's mercies. We know many of God's mercies. But this is speaking, no mercy is speaking of a specific mercy, a redeeming mercy, a forgiving mercy. In the Hosea passage that Peter references here, God said, I will not have mercy to forgive them. It's a specific mercy. It's a forgiving mercy. The mercy spoken of here is the mercy of redemption. It's mercy. Someone someone defined mercy as compassion or pity, which leads to action that relieves suffering. Compassion or pity that leads to action that relieves suffering. For those who will stubbornly reject Christ Jesus and plunge headlong into hell, they will only know temporary mercies. Even those mercies will come to an end at the end of this life on earth. The only ones who will ever know the redeeming and forgiving mercy of God are those who believe in Jesus Christ, repenting of their sin. Beloved, this this is a before and after picture for every Christian. Once you were separated from Christ, strangers to God's covenant of grace in this world without God, but God being rich in mercy has made us alive together with Christ. He has made us the people of God, even his children. He has lavished his grace on us and made us the objects of his redeeming mercy. Christian, that is our before and after. Dear lost person, this is not a before and after picture for you, but this is a clarion call to you repent of your sin and come to Jesus Christ by faith for forgiveness. Are you you so hardened that you would say, I will never come to Christ. I will never be saved. Are you determined that you will enter eternity bound for hell? For some of you, you have heard of God's mercy for as long as you can remember. You were taught about Jesus from an early age and you have a thought that someday you will be saved. Someday you will repent of your sin. One day you will come to Jesus for mercy. Friend, don't wait until it is too late. Don't wait until Until you cross that line from possible to impossible. There is an invisible line that divides possible and impossible. In this life, as long as you draw breath, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin, you will know salvation and forgiveness. But when you cross that line where salvation is no longer possible. Then it's too late. And that line is so thin. That line is is a heartbeat. That line is is drawing your last breath. That line is so close. It's closer than it's ever been before. (laughs) Death is nearer to you now than ever before. And once you cross over that line, there is no coming back. There is no change in your mind. There is no do over. Sinner, if you if you think one day you will be saved, I ask you, why not today? Today is the day of salvation. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Come to Jesus Christ today and be saved. Lost friend, this is the clarion call from this text for you today. In church it is our before and after and as we look at these before and after pictures we look here and we see ourselves. We see the old man. No mercy, no people and we remember when we were enemies of God. You see that picture of who we were. We see picture of what Christ has made us to be an object of mercy the people of God this, this should incite praise and worship that never ceases it should be that that we can't pack the people in here tight enough who know Christ who say I will not miss an opportunity to worship my Savior for what he has done brothers and sisters we we are not saved by emotion as a matter of fact reform Baptists is we're known as a stoic people but while we're not saved by emotion this truth should cause emotion to well up in us. It it should bring tears to fill our eyes. Tears of shame as we look at the before and tears of rejoicing and thanksgiving over our blessed Savior. The mirror of this text should be in our minds, Christians, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. We're instructed in scripture to come worthily. But we dare not think that our before picture is worthy. We dare not think that what we have done makes us worthy. We can only come to the table of the Lord worthily because of the work which has been wrought in us by Jesus Christ through the word and the spirit. We can only come worthily because we were not a people but now by the grace of God we are a people we had not received mercy but we we have thank mercy the mirror of this text calls us to action Peter has been calling us to holy living be holy for I am holy living lives of holiness, which reflect the holiness of our heavenly father. And as we continue in our study through this epistle, Peter will further lay out instructions and practices for Christian living. And obedience, living holy lives should flow out because we have seen this before and after view Because we understand our identity in Christ and knowing what we were, and now in Christ what we are, how can we continue to live as we once did? How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Can we who are saved by grace through faith somehow return to the old paths of sin? This text is is foundational for our identity, but it is also foundational for what comes after. Church of the living God. You once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. First. And this is the true grace of God. Staying firm in me. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray that you apply these truths to our heart. God, we pray that you would sanctify your church. That you'd save lost souls. In Christ's name we ask these things.